Uh, Almighty God, uh, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor, mighty God in flesh, the Prince of Peace, and everlasting Father. Ask for a lot of grace and wisdom right now as we dig into your word and to find out how a real man of God can face peer pressure. And that applies to ladies as well. They have tremendous pressure on them. What does it really mean? to be more concerned about your opinion than the opinion of people. Give us a lot of grace right now, a lot of wisdom. We want to learn from you, and we want to surrender our lives to you and submit to your will because you have tremendous plans for us, plans to give us a future, to give us hope. I ask for this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Let's think about peer pressure. Let's think about a concept called honor and shame. So the first thing I want to do to get this thing started is to ask a couple of questions that I think are going to be particularly valuable for us. Number one, the first question is, what is honor and what is shame? What is honor and shame? So simply put, here we go. Honor is the positive social pressure associated with doing what is right. Okay? Honor is positive social pressure in doing what is right, particularly in the eyes of your family and your social group, okay? This is identical with shame, only shame is negative social pressure, okay? Honor is positive social pressure, shame is negative social pressure, all right? Now, what does it mean to be shameless? Let's talk about that. When you become shameless, you lose the ability to feel shame. It is morally one of the worst conditions a person can find themselves in. Has, don't raise your hands, but has your mother ever said this? Don't you feel ashamed for what you've done? You know, your dad, son, you should be ashamed of yourself. Well, that's the idea, that if you are not ashamed, something is radically wrong. Something morally has broken inside of you when you lose your capacity for shame. Or in the Hebrew language, when you lose your capacity to blush, you no longer feel moral embarrassment, okay? So honor is positive social pressure. Shame is negative social pressure. And those two things work together in harmony to help a man in the Greco-Roman world, in the, in the Jewish world, to stay in line, to not deviate from social pressure. You do what your dad says. Aren't, don't you have honor? Then you do what dad says. Aren't you afraid of being shamed by people? Yes. So you do what everybody says. You stay in line with social expectation. This is how you keep your honor. This is how you avoid shame, which are two sides of the same coin. One is positive, one is negative. When you become shameless, you are a moral failure because you no longer have the ability to be uh, guilty, the capacity to sense guilt. Okay, so what role did honor and shame play in the New Testament world? Well, lots. Number one, honor and shame were foundational values that gave balance and meaning in the Jewish world, in the Greco-Roman world. Bruce, the idea that a son would break away and disappoint his father, deviate from his dad, was absurd. Uh, it's it just illogical, which all the more uh, gives meaning to the fact that James and John, quote-unquote, dropped their father's nets, fishing nets, and followed Jesus Christ. That's deviancy. Why would you do that? 
there must be something so compelling about Jesus Christ that you'd make a break from death. A huge, huge thing. Honor and shame are understood as social wealth. Okay, You and I understand wealth in terms of money. I think I've got a, there's, a, there's a $20 bill. We think of this stuff giving us wealth. All right? Well, in the Jewish world, in the Greco-Roman world, it wasn't that. It's honor. Honor meant wealth. And the more wealth you had, or the more honor you had, the wealthier you were. The lower your honor ratings, the more poor you were. Does this make sense? Honor is the currency that made culture function. Now, honor was limited. This is very important that you get this idea. Honor is limited. Okay? Let's pretend we're going to go to Lowe's Lumberyard and we need 100 two-by-fours. Well, there's 20 people who live in our little village, and there's only 200 two-by-fours. Well, if 20 people get a portion of the two-by-fours, they can build something that they need. But if one man goes and scarfs up 100 two-by-fours, it is as though lumber was taken from his other competing males in the village, and he's perceived as being a thief because he stole... He stole resources that should be dispersed evenly. Does this make sense? All right. Now, when it comes, that concept is called limited goods. When it comes to honor, though, in like manner, there's limited good. There's only so much honor to go around. But, Lee, with a competing male, you always tried to outdo him. It was your job to take honor from some other male, hopefully increasing your honor ratings, by lowering their honor ratings. Make sense? That's the game. You can think of Abraham and how he deceived and lied and cheated using his wife, Sarah, who was beautiful, in an honor-shame game with, a, with Abimelech. And when it was all over, Abraham won. And he left with lots of money and lots of cattle because he played the game, this little chess match of honor and shame, which allowed you to be devious, by the way, okay? Uh, Abraham's son did the same thing, played the same game with somebody else, okay? <laughs> it's a part of the culture. Uh, by the way, in order to, uh, Cody, to increase your honor rankings and lower the other ones, it has to take place in public. If it takes place privately, it doesn't work, okay? Because a grant of, of honor is always given by the crowd, okay? A crowd always validates, uh, endorses whether honor ratings go up or honor ratings go down. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay. This is, this is stuff we die for in the Old Testament. We live and die for this stuff. It's that important. Okay. All right. Now, are honor and shame values the cultural basis for peer pressure? What do you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you, the idea that a man would be shameless, unashamed, means he's a deviant male and he's lost his capacity for uh, uh, walking with God and walking with God's followers. So let's talk about examples of honor, shame, challenges, and repose. The word repose means simply a smart, witty comeback is what it means. Okay? That's all it means, repose. And if you watch this, now that I've taught you the background here, when you watch the dialogue between the Pharisees and Jesus, you get challenge and witty response, challenge and repose, challenge and repose, and it just punches out through the Gospels. Pretty fascinating, so check this out. 
you have your first example here in Luke 22. Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. Now I want you to appreciate that culturally. So here's Matt, here's what's going on, okay? Remember, grants of honor, bumping your honor ratings up and putting somebody's down, has to be done in public. That's why the Pharisees are afraid of the people. They're afraid that if they don't handle this problem known as Jesus, if they don't handle it well, then the crowd is going to say Jesus is more honorable than the Pharisees. Jesus is stealing social honor from the Pharisees. His rank's going up, theirs going down, and they're afraid that the crowd is going to grant higher honor to Jesus than them. And he, they are jealous, and they are mad, and so they're plotting how they're going to get this guy who is stealing honor from them. Look at this one here. This is from Matthew 22. Now, the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. You catch that? How they're going to trap him in what he said. It's a challenge. Jesus is going to meet their challenge with a witty response. And the chess game is on. Okay? And they sent their disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Check that out. Along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Do you think they really meant it when they said, We know that you're a truthful man and you teach the way of God and defer to no one, you don't play favorites? Do you think they meant that? Of course not. They said it publicly in the chess game to make their first move by saying, oh, we know you're honorable. Everybody, everybody's granting you honor. Oh, yeah, yeah, look, we, we're, we're acknowledging it. So, uh, question, should we pay taxes to Caesar? They hated paying taxes to Caesar. Caesar, they hated it. And Christ says immediately, thank you guys for finally seeing that I'm a good man. <laughs> yeah, I don't play favorites. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He doesn't respond. He doesn't take the bait at all. He knows what they're doing. He knows they're testing him, so he calls them hypocrites. And then proceeds to shred them. You remember the rest of the story. And they really were mad because, again, their honor ratings are going down, and his honor ratings are going up, and they don't like it. By the way, it sounds like a good reason to kill somebody, doesn't it? When they keep taking your honor. You getting it now? Matthew 19. So Pharisees came to him and here you go, tested. You get it. The challenge reposed. Tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Touche. <laughs> Checkmate. Done. <clears throat> Their question is met with his repost. And as you read the rest of the story, you find uh, how upset they are about these things. By the way, God's math, one plus one equals one. Look at this. A couple more examples. John 8. 
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down. Notice there's a crowd, and all the people were coming to him. There's the crowd. Got to have a crowd. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having, get that, sexual scandal. A woman caught in sexual scandal and having set her in the center of the court. Ooh, the Pharisees got him now. This is good. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Check it out. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. They made up the whole situation. They sent one of their disciples to hire her for sexual favor, and then in the act, time it where they could come and be caught. She could be drugged out of bed and then taken in front of the courtyard to be proven guilty. It was all a setup. Where's the guy? How did he get away? Where's the guy? It's all a setup. This whole thing is. And Jesus knows that they're testing him, that they might have grounds for accusing him. It says he bent down and wrote some, something on the ground. Some scholars say he wrote down the name of the girlfriends of the Pharisees, but we have no historical basis for that. We, we just can conject that. Normally you're guilty of the very thing you accuse of, by the way. We kind of psychologically give ourselves away. Uh, check this one out here. Matthew 12. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. So that the mute man spoke and saw, and all the crowds were amazed. Got to have a crowd. And were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Challenge and repose. A crowd that grants honor up or honor down. It's the game. It's the honor-shame game in a world filled with peer pressure. Tremendous peer pressure, and only a fool would deviate from peer pressure. So, what about the Christmas story? What does this have to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, check this out. Watch this. This is from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Think there's any social pressure going on here? You think there's an honor-shame dynamic? Oh, boy, Lee. Tremendous pressure. Tremendous. Now, let me give you just a couple of comments on, on this. 
some things I want you to appreciate. Joseph being righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, is he righteous because he wants to divorce her? A lot of scholars would agree that's what it's implying. He believes he should do the right thing. And the right thing, based on honor-shame dynamics in the Jewish world, is that she is guilty. He is not. So she, uh, therefore, should be punished, should be separated from him, and a document of divorce should be written. He's a righteous man. He's got to do the right thing. But what's, what's peculiar is that if he were a righteous, this word right here to disgrace, it refers to taking a woman and placing her in front of a crowd for a public trial, just like the woman caught in adultery. It means to bring something to light, to expose something. And it's interesting for Joseph to be righteous. He doesn't want to do that. Where did he learn to be so kind? Even though the law would say there should be a trial, there should be something to prove that there's sexual indiscretion, somebody's guilty, right? And yet Joseph says, no, I'm going to keep this quiet and I'm going to send her away, which is a way of saying divorce. I'm going to divorce her secretly. But then through a dream, God says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. By the way, what do you think? Why would Joseph be afraid? Why would he be afraid of her? Why would he be afraid of Mary? Because he's a man of honor and she's a woman of shame. How's that for peer pressure? <laughs> he's a man of honor. She's a woman of shame. If he marries her, it is guilt by association. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to be married to her. So he makes the decision to, do, to divorce her secretly. Now, what do, we draw, what do we draw from the text here? How do, we, uh, how do we pull this into our world and make sense of it? Well, number one, let's consider this. If you want to be a man that can make a difference in the life of your family, and if you have kids, a dad that can make a difference in your kids, you need to make the decision to do the right thing, to be a righteous man, which is going to include repeating the words of Jesus and repeating his actions and treating people the way you want to be treated. <coughs> okay? Treating people the way you want to be treated. That's doing the right thing. Secondly, be a man of gentleness and humility. I think it's fascinating that he did not want to disgrace her. When Terry, all honor, shame, pressure, social pressure was just crushing on this guy, that he should bring it to light. If he didn't bring it to light, it means he's probably the one that got her pregnant before marriage. And he didn't want that. But yet he said, something's going on here that's unusual, and I can't do this. I'm going to do it secretly. Third, be willing to admit. You ready? This is a good one. Buckle up, folks. Be ready to admit that your root problem may, that, may be that you fear rejection. <laughs> right? God said, Joseph, don't be afraid. God's a great psychologist. Man, he got right to the, got right to the root, Megan. <laughs> You've got fear issues, son. You've got fear issues. You're afraid. 
You're afraid you're going to lose honor in the eyes of the crowd. You're, you're afraid you're going to lose honor in the eyes of the crowd. It's okay to deal with our root problems, guys. Which for most guys, fear is one of the roots of it all. Four, uh, be attuned to God. Be attuned to God. Because God may speak to you in ways that help you to see that things are not necessarily as they appear. And you might not know it like all the facts. Okay? There may be things going on you have no idea about. Number five, one thing is beyond a doubt that it is God's will for us to care for our wives and our children. There's no doubt about it. Unquestioned. So that being the case, two principles form from the series we've done on dads that make a difference. Number one, uh, bitterness makes for bad parenting. <laughs> Man, a, a bitter dad, a bitter mom makes for bad parenting. Just not a good <coughs> dynamic at all. And two, fear of the rejection of men can lead to the avoidance of responsibility in the eyes of God. You need to hear that one again. I need to hear that one again, right? Fear of the rejection of men, the pressure to give in to the honor-shame dynamics in, in your world can lead to the avoidance of responsibility in the eyes of God. Sometimes men, ladies, you'll appreciate this, sometimes men have a profound ability to think logically to the wrong conclusion. It's just an amazing thing that goes place in God, takes place in God's head. You get full of fear, you get full of, of anger, bitterness, and you end up avoiding the very responsibilities that God gave you. Joseph is a dad who made a difference and had a huge impact. Guess what? If he had done the right thing according to Numbers 5 and Deuteronomy 22, the law, which is perfect and holy and righteous and makes the fool wise and, and cleans, cleans a man up on the inside, the law of God, if he followed the law of God, it's unquestioned that he should have divorced her. No doubt. But he didn't. Can you imagine if he, if he did the right thing and just divorced her and cleaned up the mess and walked away? Do you realize he would have missed the greatest opportunity of his lifetime to be dad to a little guy named Yehoshua, which is the long version of the Hebrew Yeshua, which is translated into Greek, Iesu, which in English is Jesus. He would have missed out on being his dad. But he made, the, he made the smart choice and decided to do what was right in the eyes of God and help the little boy learn what you can do with a block of wood and some lumber and how to build things and how to be responsible and learn character. And this little guy from a little village in Nazareth, Yehoshua, one day was identified as being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You're the body of Christ. What do you think? Practical ways we can pull that little verse, that simple verse that Joseph wanted to put away secretly, but instead, God helped him face his fears, and he chose to be dad to a little boy. What difference does this make in our lives? 
regarding the birth of Jesus Christ. As I relate this to today, to our world, I'm taking honor and shame and translating that into reputation. Oh, yeah. Whatever profession we follow, we have a reputation. Whether it's we're always on time, or we work hard, or we're uh, the go-to person in our particular field of endeavor. And <clears throat> it's important to us we want to be perceived as somebody who is competent, hardworking, reliable, and we want to maintain that. We want to be honorable. And that spills over into our private lives mm -hmm. that as men, we are responsible for our family to protect and provide for them, and making decisions, not just for our well-being, but for our spiritual mm. well-being. Mm, good stuff. And sometimes that can conflict. <coughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's good. Thank you, Terry. Someone else, why does this matter? Anybody else? Passing on bad traits. Mm -hmm. Not bad traits, but when there's bitterness and fear and rejection, it can then be passed on to the children. Big time. <clears throat> Thank you. Wow. Bitterness, pride, fear, <coughs> anger can be passed on to your kids, absolutely. And the dysfunctional snowball just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Yeah. 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 Someone else, why does this matter? Does anybody see a little irony in this story? A little irony? There's a sexual scandal with a poor peasant Jewish girl. And Joseph protects her. Sometimes women who are part of sexual scandal need protection. Did you know that? <laughs> they, don't need to, they don't need to be shamed. They already know they made a mistake, right? It's a problem. They need protection. It's what they need, right? And Joseph protected Mary and that little boy. Guess what? Jesus, 30 years later, does the very same thing that his dad did. <laughs> Protected a woman caught in a sexual scandal and protects her. How ironic. Passing it down to generations, don't you think? Absolutely, yes. Very, very wise question, Margaret. Very, very wise. Yes, they knew he was associated with scandal. By the way, 
Any, any scholars here uh, on, on how we know that? When Jesus is labeled, how do they normally label him? They say, Jesus, the son of Mary. <coughs> they don't say the son of Joseph, they say Mary. And that is a barb. Because no Jewish man wants to be known by being the son of a woman. That's not right. You know, the son of David, son of man, you know, of a man. So by saying that, you're saying, oh, yeah, we know how you got here. Yeah, yeah, we know. We know. Yeah, they knew. Yeah. It even spread into Roman culture, by the way. They even heard rumors about how Mary got pregnant by a centurion named Pantera. So, anybody else? on why this matters, and how a dad can make a difference in his kids and his family, knowing bitterness is poison. And if a man is bound up in fear, he will tend to avoid his responsibilities. Anybody else on why this matters? I think in this day and age, it's not necessarily your being a father to in your own household, because there are so many fatherless sons and daughters out there. Yeah. 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 Frank, we should be taking people into our homes, shouldn't we? Yeah. 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 We should be the body of Christ. Yes. I think another uh, reason that this matters specifically this weekend is because I'll speak for myself. I'm going to be around a lot of family, and a lot of that family, I've had issues caring too much, like what they think. You know, yeah. and so even though I'm not a dad, I've got bitterness towards certain members of my family. I have fear of rejection towards certain members of my family. Like these are things that I can be practicing this weekend, immediate application. And every dad in the room, or mom in the room, or anybody in the room. I mean, I don't know about y'all. Maybe your family's awesome and perfect, but <laughs> I feel like probably a lot of us. Everybody but you. Yeah. It's, just, it's strange how that worked out that way. All alone. Uh, a lot of comparing happens at Christmas. A lot of comparing. You know, my life versus your life, my house versus your house, my presence versus your presence versus their presence, my family versus your family, you know, my family versus my wife's family, dysfunction versus dysfunction. There's so much comparing going on that bitterness can take root, fear of rejection can take root, avoiding responsibility can take root, like all of these things we're talking about. And so it's specifically important this time of year because like this is when we can practice modeling you know what this looks like mm, thank you Caleb you spoke such wisdom uh, so Marsha Linehan is kind of a national hero on how to treat people with a certain mental condition and she has this famous little thing she says you didn't make the mess but you gotta clean it up okay like your parents may have made it may have made a mess in your life, okay, we're going to acknowledge it, validate it, and we're all cry together, but you still got to clean it up. You didn't make a mess, you got to clean up the mess, okay? Got it? Now check this out. Did you know that's what the, the God did? God knew there was a mess. Satan made a mess, didn't he? Lee. And God chose to clean up the mess. He didn't, he didn't cringe in fear, got involved and sent himself mysteriously incarnated in the flesh of a baby boy to clean up this whole thing. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the innocent and pure baby born in Bethlehem 
would grow to be the innocent, pure lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And by dying on the cross for us, we now have the means by which we can be forgiven and restored to God and brought into right relationship with God. That's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you all for what you've shared. Thank you so much. Ladies, you can make a difference too. This applies to both guys and girls. You can make a huge difference in your family. Let's worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen and the guys are going to come. Let me pray. Abba, Father, I want to thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you so much for Simon and what he teaches us. Thank you for Joseph and what he teaches us. Help us to be men and women who don't give in to peer pressure, but give in to you. Who have faith and do what is right in your eyes. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.